Tonight we're going to hear a lot about death. And as many of you know, I've experienced death firsthand this week. And maybe some of you have as well. But for me, my father, 83 years old, passed away this week. Slightly before midnight on Tuesday night. In fact, I was just getting ready to go to bed myself when I received the call. He had been in a failing, uh, declining condition for some time, as many of you know. And I want to say thank you so much for your prayers for my family, not only following the passing of my father, and it means so much to us to have such tender, kind condolences and support and prayer from all of you. It really encourages us greatly. But I want to thank you also for the prayers for us during the time, the long season of trial and challenge with caring for him in his compromised condition. My father had dementia, If anyone has had a family member who has that kind of condition, and there's many different varieties of it, you know that there's no good variety of it. And and it can be uh, grievously difficult. Your prayers and your love during that time was so helpful to me. But many times over the last year, as I've been attending to him, and I've been his, uh, his conservator, as well as for my mother, who also suffers from dementia, but who is uh, in much better condition and is uh, doing well. And thank you for your prayers for her as well. Um, but many times over this, over this season, my patience has all but evaporated. And sometimes I felt as though my faith had all but evaporated. And I think that I would very much like it if I could have all but evaporated. Have you ever had a situation that seemed so intractable and so absolutely dark and despairing that it seemed to you that there was no solution and also that you couldn't go on, that there was no more stamina or energy for it? Maybe when you have had an ailing parent or an ailing spouse or a troubled child or a troubled marriage or a troubled business or a troubled soul, Maybe when the bondage that was holding you was not Pharaoh of Egypt, but some addiction, some attraction, some compulsion that holds you bound by its chains and you don't know how to get free. And maybe you simply feel like, I can't deal with this addiction anymore. I can't deal with this depression anymore. I can't deal with this anxiety anymore. And I simply wish that I could escape. Maybe you even wish that you could die. Well, when we come face to face with death, I think it is almost all but inevitable that it causes us that chill that only death can really bring, the shock. I remember walking into the room where my father had passed away peacefully, I must say, in his sleep, and I thank the Lord for that. And I saw him there lying in his bed, lifeless, but his body lying there. I apologize if anyone finds this disturbing, and it may touch upon a memory of your own or a situation that you're facing right now, and I want you to know, believe me, there's no intended insensitivity in my remarks. But you know, I think it's become all too easy for many of us to turn away from death and to act as though somehow it's not a part of every single day. There's someone dying right now, millions. There's millions being born too. 
It's nicer to think about the latter, harder to consider the former. I walked into that room and I saw him lying there and he looked so peaceful and I thought, I've seen my dad asleep on the couch, asleep on a bed so many times with his head kind of back like that. I thought it looks like he's asleep. But as you draw closer, put your hand upon the body and feel the coldness that comes. And as I sat and prayed over his body and gave thanks to God for the preciousness of his life, I saw the change in color that comes. And more and more clearly I could see there's no life here in this body. A body that I've embraced so many times. The hands that have embraced me, encouraged me, taught me, sometimes spanked me long time ago. That voice so familiar to me that shall be heard no more this side of heaven. And I realized again, as we do in those moments, the finality of death, the absolute totality of it, the, the mystery of it, almost incomprehensible. One moment this person was alive and this person has always been alive while I was alive and my life came from this person and now there is no person here. There's a body without a person bound for the grave. And it is a horror. It should be. Don't look away from that. Look at it. Because someday that will be you on the bed. And before then, there are, as we all know, as we age and as we grow, many times when we have to face that someone we love dearly is there. It's easy to ignore the reality of death, but you cannot escape the chain of it. It wraps you even now. This body that you have, no matter how young and healthy you may be, and then you may say, well, I'm not as young as I once was, and maybe I'm not as vigorous and virile as I once was. Well, you're stronger and more energetic now than you probably will be at some point ahead. And why is that? Because as the scripture says, every day we're wasting away. We're diminishing in our physical self. We're drawing closer to a grave every day, whether we realize it or not. You say, well, I, I don't want to. You don't have a choice. And so what does that make you? A slave. You and I are slaves to the grave from the day we are born. We are bound for burial right from the womb. Does it seem unpleasant to you? It is. It's horrible. In the garden when the Lord saw his children, that first couple, Adam and Eve, he said, if you disobey me and partake of what you are not to partake of, in the day you do it, you'll die. We read that and we say, well, they didn't drop dead that day, but realize that the word day there is the age. In the age that you do that, that will be the age in which you die. And that's the age that you and I live in and age in. It's the era of death. It is the legacy of sin. It is the bondage 
into which you and I are born and which we constantly feed through our sin nature and fleshly ways. But we can also call upon the Lord. We can say, save me, O Lord, and I shall be saved. The children of Israel enslaved in Egypt called upon the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a leader, a child saved out of the clutches of death, out of the waters of drowning that Pharaoh intended through that little ark, that basket that his mother made for him, raised in the court of the king, but ultimately called by the Lord at the burning bush on Mount Sinai and returned into the land of Egypt so that he could come before Pharaoh and say on behalf of the Lord, let my people go. Freedom. Do you remember? That's how we began this series on Sunday. Freedom. But they had to be patient for freedom to come because the Lord said, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And so I will strengthen his heart in that stance so that I can multiply my wonders. And the plagues that went through the land were wonders and miracles of the Lord. Nine of them rolled by. The ninth, darkness over all the land of Egypt. But there was light among the Israelites. We mentioned that each of the plagues identified some particular powers among the so-called deities of Egypt in which the Lord showed that he was actually dominant over those things, not these false gods and demonic idols. And then one more plague, the Lord said. One more plague which would be the death of the firstborn. The very thing that Pharaoh had decreed over Israel, God decreed over Egypt. Pharaoh, who was worshipped as a god, the lord of all life, was going to experience the angel of death. But the god of life and death would pass over the children of Israel because of the anointing of the blood. Exodus chapter 12 and the sign of the blood is our focus for tonight. And I'm looking at this chapter with you from the perspective of how God calls us to be patient through the perils that following him brings into our path. I'm not just talking about the hardships that come into every life. I'm talking about the particular ways in which if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, there are particular assaults you are going to face that you could avoid simply by not following Jesus. This is not very good marketing. If somebody is out there and thinking, what kind of a pastor is this? If you want me to put my faith and my trust into the life of Jesus and you talk about death and you talk about <laughs> facing troubles that I could avoid simply by not following Jesus, why should I do it then? Well, because if you will patiently persist in the pathway of faith that the Lord entail, in, intends, you will experience the victory. But if you think that you can avoid challenges by simply avoiding following Jesus, you are actually just going further into your enslavement to the grave. Jesus put it this way, whoever loves their life and clings to it is going to lose it. Why? Because you're bound for burial right from the womb. But if you will take up your cross and lay down your life, a life which you've already are lost in, then he will hold you and his blood will cover you 
And whatever perils you may face through your discipleship will only make you stronger. It's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) You may cut me down, but I'll only grow stronger. That's a story, but it's sourced in a truth, a truth that helps us to be patient in perils. The family lamb is the focus of the Passover meal and the Passover message. It's a meal that maybe nobody would really want. He he says, here's your great holiday feast. First of all, you have to kill a lamb. Makes me feel kind of sad. I don't know, maybe it's easier to kill a turkey than kill a lamb. I've never had to kill either, so I guess I don't really know from experience. But the meal includes bitter herbs and unleavened bread. This isn't exactly the most enticing menu. The meal itself is meant to remind the children of Israel of the hardship in which the Lord is meeting them and out of which he is delivering them. And that deliverance is that God is bringing a judgment upon the entire land. It's not that the children of Israel are not going to be judged. It's that they are going to be judged through the veil of the sacrifice of blood on the door. And even though they've had to patiently wait a long time, God is saying, when I come and when I do this, then the change is going to be so fast that you better eat fast and better be ready to move quickly because I'm on the move and you're going to be on the move too. You know, it must have been the absolute nadir, the lowest point of their spirituality and their emotionality for the the apostles and the disciples on the day when they saw Jesus go not only to trial, but to be beaten and to die on the cross. And you can see in the scriptures how absolutely alienated and disoriented they were. You can see Peter's betrayal of Jesus three times and his weeping horror at his own lapse. You can see that they're scattered and confused And you and I, if we're honest, we can relate to that emotion. And we can relate to that confusion. They were not free from the trial and the trouble. But only three days later, they were witness to the resurrection. Just a little bit longer, my friend. Trust in the Lord a bit longer. Life is short, and the longer you live, the shorter it seems. I remember when 30 years sounded like a really long time. It still sounds like a long time, but not nearly as long as it used to. 10 years used to sound like a really long time. It's shortened for me as my life grows longer. And what I realize is that the entirety of a human lifespan is like that. Once again, seeing my father lying in that bed and thinking, That's his whole life now. His whole life can be bounded by two years. 1939, 2022. And they're really not that far apart. Especially when you pull back and begin to consider the scope of human history, of earthly history, of universal history. When you begin to even conceive of the imagining of the mind of God and you realize that a human life is but a breath. You can wait a little longer, 
you can hold on a little bit further because when the Lord comes, he's going to come quickly. And when he does, he's going to be looking for who is it that is marked by the blood and then be ready because it's going to happen fast in the twinkling of an eye. So you and I have a season and this holiday in which we say it's Friday and resurrection is Sunday, but between now and then, there's a vigil of our faith. That is a steady, patient readiness, even through the darkness of the night, believing in the brightness of hope. Now, you may say the phrase, we will all die, does not give me the brightness of hope. But think of it this way. Being born out of the womb must look to the fetus a little bit like death. This place all around me is collapsing and in a flow of water and blood and with screaming and crying, I'm coming out of this safe, warm, familiar place and into this very strange, bright light. But it isn't death, it's life. We will all die, but we have in Jesus Christ the promise of a resurrection. Don't be afraid of death unless you don't know the Lord of life and then be afraid of nothing else because nothing that you do and nothing that you build and no way that you can try and delay and put off will possibly free you from the chain of death that's already around your neck like a noose. But if you are in Christ, then those chains are broken and you've been set free. Yes, you will die. But even though you die, Jesus says, yet you will live. Now, that might sound like a deal that you don't want, but the feast that no one wanted is actually the provision which God gave so that people could be saved. I'm not going to read all of Exodus 12 with you, but I want to kind of hop through the chapter together and look at some of these key points. So the Lord is preparing the children of Israel for this event. And think of how scary that is. Can you imagine if the Lord came to us tonight and says, tomorrow night the angel of death is going to pass all over the entire city of Los Angeles. Wow, what does that mean? They didn't know what it meant any more than you and I would if we heard that, except that it meant that there was death coming. But God was making a pathway for life. And the Lord made it clear that their lives would be saved. You don't tell people, I want you to celebrate this every year if they're not going to survive it. The very fact that the Lord said, I'm going to do this now and you're going to celebrate it forever in all your generations, even when you enter into the promised land, that very fact tells you that the Lord's confidence was on display for them. I will succeed in this. I will free you, says the Lord. I am going to save you. And so you are going to remember and worship me by each year at this time of year in the spring, taking the lamb, one lamb for every household, or as we saw last time, households could share if their size uh, was suitable for it. And it had to be an unblemished lamb. It had specific criteria that were all about reflecting the health this was not a lamb that was about to die. This was a lamb that would have grown up. In fact, it's a real sacrifice. Now, you might say lamb is real tasty, and I'll tell you I agree. But if you are 
a, a, a family in this era who has a lamb, that lamb can probably be a greater resource for you by letting it live. And it's going to grow up and, and uh, provide milk and it's going to provide uh, um, uh, sustenance of other kind to you for a longer period of time. So it's a sacrifice to kill it at that time and not let it grow to be a sheep or a goat. So there's a sacrifice involved. There's a blemishless, pure, perfect quality to it. And there's a timeline. They can't just do it whenever. It is specifically cued to this season of the year, the time of the month. And then when they make the sacrifice, they are called to take a branch of hyssop and to spread blood. If you see on your, on your bulletin, or the image that I had on the slides earlier, you can see how spreading it on the doorpost and on the sides covers the entire doorway. But what happens when there is blood on this lintel? It drips down from the center. And as they make their blood sign on the door, they are making a cross of blood over their very house. An anticipation of the cross of Christ an expectation of the sacrifice of his blood. There are very specific uh, specifications on how to do this. It's not an easy meal. It's carefully prepared, but it is a perfect kind of provision. And the blood on the door is a sign to be seen. Look how they are supposed to eat it, ready to travel. Eat the lamb in this manner, with your loins girded. In other words, have your belt on, have your sandals, your shoes on your feet, have your staff in your hand, and eat it fast. Eat it with the expectation of a deliverance that you don't even see yet. The Lord is calling you and I to eat of his body and blood tonight in this way. I don't mean that you have to gobble it down, but what I mean is eat of this body and blood when we partake of communion together in a few minutes with the expectation that Christ is coming for you. With the expectation that no matter how long or short your life, you don't have to be afraid of death because you belong to Jesus. And even if you can't see him yet, you are eating of his provision you are under the sign of his blood and you are expecting his salvation. You're so confident of it that everything about your life is packed up ready to follow wherever he leads you. You're not reclining, sitting back going, I want to be comfortable in this world. You're leaning forward and ready and saying, Lord, I'm ready to give up my life for you in this world to follow you, to be a witness, to be a sign even if that witness comes at the cost of your own blood. In the book of Revelation, we are told that the people who patiently prevailed, even though many of them died, did so by the word of the Lord and the testimony of their own witness. The blood of the lamb and the blood of the martyrs, they mingle together in a perfect holy sacrifice. The Lord says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn from high to low, even among the animals and the herds and the blood shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. He's not saying I'll ignore you. It's like a bird of prey. You'll be under the shadow of my wings. I will cover you. 
When I see the blood, you'll be under my cover. But where the blood is lacking, then I come in for the kill. Somebody might say, I don't like the idea of the Lord being a killer. Don't you realize that it isn't that the Lord is a killer, but that sin is. And the Lord is a judge. And so if you will not be delivered out of the death of sin by the blood of the lamb, then you will be subject to the judgment that is upon sin because you are enslaved in it. The Lord doesn't desire that you and I should be judged unto death. He doesn't desire that any should perish. He wants all to come to life. But there's only one way to life, and it is under the blood of the Lamb of God. The other aspect of this celebration of Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, there will be no leaven in the house. You will not eat any leavened bread. Leaven is yeast. It causes bread to rise. Unleavened bread is like a cracker. Most of us would prefer a good pentasol, right? Most of us would prefer a nice, rising, fluffy kind of bread. I like those Hawaiian rolls. Bring me some of those. Then you get the matzah and you go, for this, we're celebrating. This is a saltine. It's like king-size saltine. But you know when matzah tastes the best to me, and by the way, I love matzah ball soup, and you can do lots of things with matzah, but the idea of unleavened bread is not that you're luxuriating in the wonderful taste of it, but that you are reminded of both the hardship that God delivers us out of and the lessons that we learn from it and also the life. If you look at a piece of matzah, you'll see that it's pierced. These holes are put into it because since it cannot rise, there has to be some way for heat and moisture to escape. So it is pierced with all these little holes, like you might imagine on the brow of Christ from the crown of thorns. In the oven, because of its thin nature, it will get touched, as bakers say, scorched by heat in points that darken it so that though the matzah cracker is fairly white, it is mottled with brown and black spots like bruises on the body of Christ. The very matzah cracker itself shows you that Christ died for you, shows you how he suffered for our sins so that you and I could feast on his life. On the very day in which they were to prepare for the Passover, which is Friday, they were supposed to remove all leaven from their homes. And in fact, every year, that is a part of the ritual. Remove all the yeast from your house. Over and over again in the scriptures, yeast is a symbol of sin. Don't have even a little bit hidden away because a little bit in the lump of dough will cause the entire loaf to rise. In other words, yeast is small and it seems so simple, but it has a, a catalytic effect. And so there has to be absolute purity in your life, says the Lord. Jesus is the unleavened bread because there is no sin in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Can you clear all of the sin out of your life? I challenge you. You'll fail. I, I have. I can't even find all of my sin. 
Really, in the ancient scriptures, we were told that there were sins that they didn't know about. They used to send out the scapegoat for the sins that they had committed that they didn't realize they had committed. And don't you suppose that in God's eyes, there are things that you and I have done wrong that we don't even know are wrong? Many, many are the unknown sins. Those are the unknown. Now, shall we open the book on the ones that you and I know about? And oh, how we know about them. And so does the Lord. I'll try to be better, you say. You'll fail. So should I not try at all? No, you should cry and weep and repent over your sins. But we don't have that attitude until we have the mind of God. It's when the light of the Lord shines on our life. Maybe we would rather be in the dark. That's where Egypt was. And we think we're safe in the dark. You're not. The angel of death is coming over. And if there's no blood on your door, then I don't care how much righteousness you think you've done. It is outweighed by the leaven of your sin, which has risen up in you, puffed you and I up with pride and arrogance, with fear and confusion, with anger and hatred. Who will deliver me from this life of sin? The blood of the Lamb. I'm not saying you and I shouldn't endeavor to live righteous lives. I'm saying the only real righteousness is in Christ. And actually it is him and by his blood that you and I are cleansed and made righteous. And so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he has already made that provision through the giving of his blood. And so it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. And again, I think of myself at midnight in the middle of this week and death was in my home. It touches all of us. It touches all of us. But the power of death to constrain us, to chain us, to enslave us, it is broken in Christ. I thought of the wail and the cry going up in Egypt. And when I was sitting there with my father's body this week, I was mourning. I will miss him. I love him dearly. But I was not grief-stricken and overwhelmed because I know he's with the Lord. I will see him again. And not only will I see him again, but I will see him and know him better than I've ever seen him and known him before. And he likewise I. And it may very well be that I have the opportunity for a kind of relationship with him now that's ever been closer than ever because if he is in the Lord and I know the Lord, then in the Lord he is there. Don't be afraid. 
to say something to a loved one who's passed on. Sometimes people make the, the complaint that that's not Christian. Listen, you're not praying to them. You're not making the mistake that they're a God. You're giving a message to them through the God who is God. And he knows them and he can speak with them. So go ahead and talk to them. People who feel constrained and they say, I never get to talk to that loved one again. Yes, you can. You say, well, I'm not going to hear them. That's true. But if you desire a reunion, then drink of the cup of resurrection and you shall have it. But without the Lord, woe and sorrow and grief. Now, I must say something and I want to say this. It's important. When someone is aged, my father was 83 years old. He had been ill. There, was, there were many things that were difficult about his condition such that it makes it, I think, easier. And again, I'm not trying to diminish anyone else's experience, but I think it makes it easier to have peace with such a passing. It's a very different thing when someone young falls ill with cancer or is subject to uh, an accident or, as we see, people who are shedding their blood for freedom in places like Ukraine and young children and families being struck down in a, in a senseless act of brutality. Warfare, death is as horrible as death gets. I don't want to equate my experience this week with everyone else's. There are some kinds of deaths that are easier to accept and there are some that are harder. But I am convinced that there is no death that can overcome the power of the life of Christ. And in fact, without Christ, I am also convinced that there is no way to really have peace about death. Because if you don't know the Lord and you say, well, this parent was very old and they're at peace, they're not really at peace if you don't believe that there's anything beyond that. They're just a void. And there's no comfort in that. But there's no truth in it either. Whether people know the Lord or not, the scripture makes clear the end of this life is not the end of all life. But after life comes a judgment. And so is the blood over your life. Is there blood on the door of your heart? If so, then you don't have to be afraid as the Egyptians were afraid who pushed the Israelites out. After 400 years of chaining them, now they take the chains off of them, they throw them out the doors, and by the way, they give them chains, gold chains, silver chains, jewelry, necklaces. Take, take all of our treasure, all of this loot is yours because we would rather you have our wealth and we have our lives. They are trying to cling to their lives because their fear is we're all gonna die. Tonight, the sons died. But tomorrow night, who dies next? The daughters, the wives, the husbands? We will all die, says Egypt. So go, go fast. Pharaoh says to Moses and to Aaron, get out. Go pray to your God that you say you want to worship. Pray for me, why don't you? And the Egyptian people give them, remember the gold and silver that they were told to ask for. That stuff can't buy you life. Only the Lord can give you life. But with life, the Lord gives them that as well. All this in heaven too. You see, there is nothing that you would sacrifice in this life for following Jesus that will not be restored to you and much more in the kingdom to come. So don't chase after silver and gold in this world. The Lord will give you silver and gold when he gives you life. 
The heavenly streets are paved with gold. You might say, oh, that just sounds archaic. I don't think so. It's described that way. I believe it. I, I don't know exactly what it means, but I know this. Everything of real value and wealth, of durability and beauty, is actually in the hand and the kingdom of the Lord. But in this world, all that glitters is not gold. So don't sacrifice your life for wealth or position or power. Sacrifice your life to the Lord and all those things and more would be given unto you. So they bake their dough without any yeast because they don't have time for it even to rise. And they're driven out of Egypt without delay. Look, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Every now and then in the story, we get a reminder that these were people like us too. They were not so faith-filled. The Lord had already said, this is going to happen and I'm going to do it and be ready. It's going to happen fast. But why hadn't they prepared? Now they haven't made any provisions for themselves. And you and I might be like that. We might think, ah, oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what Christians say. But in the day when it happens, will you be ready? Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this ordinance of the Passover, this commemorating of this event, this is for the children of Israel. No foreigner is to eat of it. Again, someone might say, why is God so, so, uh, so xenophobic? Is God really so opposed uh, to people on these ethnic grounds? Don't misunderstand. What the Lord is saying is, this provision of Passover is for the people who are part of my family. The invitation is, be a part of my family. But the Lord is saying, you must be a part of the family in order to be under the blood. It's a bloodline. You've got to be a blood relative. But you can be, because the blood of Jesus is flowing. But if you say, I don't want that, then you're not part of it. Now then, look at this. The Lord says, if a stranger is traveling with you and they want to be part of it, then they can enter into the covenant. And in that era, it was the shedding of some blood and the shedding of some flesh. It was a circumcision. But Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, raised this cup and says, here's a new covenant, not one of circumcision and flesh, but of spirit and life. And so if you want to be not a foreigner to God, but a member of the family, come and eat of the lamb and the bread of heaven. Come and drink of the cup of the new covenant. And you also will be part of the family of God. And so all that family, all the sons of Israel, all the children of Israel did as the Lord had commanded. And on that very day, the Lord brought them out. On the very day when Jesus died on the cross, sin was conquered. They didn't know it yet, but it was true. And so in conclusion, we're gonna to come to partake of our meal. It's a feast, but not everyone partakes of it. Some people say, I don't want that because I don't want to be bound to the rituals and the beliefs and the requirements of the word because I'm not sure or confident in that Lord because I don't think I'm worthy, because I don't think I need it, because I don't think I'm interested, because I've got something else to do. There are many reasons why people might not want this feast, but how about you? Tonight, I'm asking you, do you want to be free? Do you want to be liberated 
from the oppression of that depression or the anxiety or the addiction? Do you want clarity about how to live and which way to go? Do you want to be able to rest at night in the peace of the Lord no matter what kind of turmoil is going on in the world? Do you want the assurance that your sins are not something you have to hide and not something you have to run away from, but you can face them because they've been answered in the sacrifice of Christ. Do you want to know the intimate love of God for you and see yourself through his eyes and understand what you're really meant for and made for? Do you want to have the kind of grace and patience of the fruit of the Spirit that is your destiny in the Lord? Do you want to live unafraid of death and confident of eternal life, then this cup is for you. This bread is for you. This lamb is for you. This cross is for you. This God is for you, not against you, to give you a future and a hope and freedom. So get free tonight. Get free. I'm going to ask if those who are helping with the service of the communion would begin to take the elements around. And for you at home, I'm going to ask that you would gather something, some cracker, maybe you've got matzah, some bit of bread, something tangible, solid that you can eat, some cup of something approximating the juice of the vine, even if it's water. You say, doesn't have to be consecrated? Yes. Ask the Lord to consecrate it. That's a prayer, and your prayer will be answered if it is sincerely lifted to him. If you have no elements where you are right now, then simply open your heart to the Lord and say, I want to eat of this meal. On the night when Jesus first had this supper with his friends, and he called them friends, he washed their feet, and he showed them love. He went out to a garden called Gethsemane. It means the olive press because Jesus was about to be pressed and the very oil of his life was gonna flow out from him. And Jesus himself was distressed. Matthew 26, he says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Why? Because the weight of your sin and mine is beginning to come upon him. The isolation that he will experience on the cross is beginning to become palpable for him. He begins to see the storm cloud of that isolation. The isolation that you may have experienced in your own life, but you don't have to because Jesus has already experienced it for you and wants to unite you with the Father. But if it is harrowing and grievous to Jesus, imagine what it's doing to you. And Jesus even says, this is a feast I don't want. Father, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass, but not as I will, but as you will. Jesus didn't want to experience that separation from the Father. Jesus had no desire to associate with sin. It was contrary to everything that he is, but, but for the joy of your forgiveness and mine and the salvation that would unite us, for that joy that was set before him, he willingly went to the cross. He willingly gave of his blood. Take the bread that is before you. 
Do you need a physical encounter with Jesus? Have you ever felt like, if I could just touch him? Remember the woman who said, if I could just grab a hold of the hem of his robe? She had an issue of blood that was draining the life out of her, and she thought, Jesus could heal me if I could just touch him. Jesus can heal you, and as you're touching this bread, he's touching you. Let virtue from him flow into you now. Grab hold of that bread, break it, and realize that he who made all things made himself breakable for you and I, so that you and I could be fixed, so that we could be made whole. Now take that into yourself and realize that wherever you are broken, this broken bread is going to make you whole, is going to heal your life. If you have physical illness, ask the Lord through this bread to be medicine to your body. If you are struggling with some malady, some addiction, some perversion, some relationship that is broken or hindered, let this bread be to you a token promise and a real measure of God's help to you to deliver you from your bondage and your burden. Lord, we receive this bread of heaven as your body broken and given for us. First Corinthians 11, Paul says to the church, in the same way that Jesus had given the bread to the disciples and said, this is my body. He took the cup after their Passover meal and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Who proclaims death? Those who are victorious over it. What we are saying is death is defeated. Death is defeated. Even if death comes over my house, I'm under the blood and I will be under the Passover and I will be part of the feast of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let this cup be the love of the Lord to you tonight. Drink it and realize that there is no sin that you have that Jesus has not already forgiven. Drink of his forgiveness and be set free. Lord, we receive your blood, we confess our sin, and we receive your forgiveness. Hallelujah, indeed. We will all die, but in Christ, all in Christ will live. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus come to be born in the stable? It was for freedom. It was to set you free. Hallelujah. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't lose your patience. Don't let go of your faith. If you're struggling, if it seems to you like you're at the very limit and the very edge, then eat of this meal and take hold of this Lord and allow him to strengthen you. But do not by any means turn around and go back into a life of sin. Don't be yoked again to the yoke of slavery. And if that's the life that you're in right now, friend, today is the day to make a new start. Today is the day to die to that old sinful life so that you can be born again, so that you can be free. 
And if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And not even death can hold you down. Hallelujah. Lift up an applause to the Lord. Lift up praise to the Lord. Lift up your gratitude to God. Hallelujah, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that our lives are hidden in you. And right now, I want to pray this prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer. You heard it many times in many different ways. Every single one of us is a sinner. Our only salvation hope is in Jesus. But once we have been saved, we don't ignore sin. We become more mindful of it. We are like those people who are searching their house for the leaven and looking to remove every ounce of it. And we ask for the light of the Lord to show it to us. And so let's all pray this prayer. If you can pray it earnestly, pray it with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner and I repent of my sins. I thank you for your forgiveness. I ask you for your help. I give you my life. I open my heart. I ask for your help. Give me a hunger for your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Shine your light into my life. Show me what you want to remove. Show me what you want to restore. Help me to live the way you want me to live. Give me your love. Give me love for you. Give me love for others. In Jesus' name. Amen. That prayer is answered, friends. It's answered. Now, we rejoice because death is not the end. But because death is not the end, Good Friday is not the end. There would be no Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday. But without Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday would be no hope to us. Because though we were forgiven, we would still be doomed. But we are not doomed. We are promised. Promised everlasting life. So come and rejoice with us this Resurrection Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. You can stream with us. We invite you to be with us. And after we have a service, we're going to have a feast. And it's a feast everybody wants. And everybody is welcome. So be with us. And until that time, may the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the fellowship of the saints and the covering of the blood be on you and on your home. In Jesus' name, amen.